I'd like to begin this morning in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 9. Now as we're turning there, we often talk about knowing God. We talk about having a relationship with God. Growing in our understanding of Him. And that He lives in our hearts. And as we get to know Him and have a relationship with Him, we begin to see things about Him, His attributes and things, not just written in, in the Word, but we begin to begin to perceive it in our hearts. And so we, we try to grasp at what He's all about, what He is, and who He is, and what, what, what's going on with Him. What is the heart of God? In verse 9 it says, As Jesus passed on from there, He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and He said to him, Follow me. So He arose and followed him. Now it happened, as Jesus sat at the table in the house, that, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means, I desire mercy, and that sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The fact is, as we read in the book of Isaiah, there's not one who's righteous. No, not one. He came to call sinners to repentance. And there were many who thought they were righteous, self-righteous, <clears throat> but the fact is that there's none that's righteous. God came to call sinners to repentance. <clears throat> and so <clears throat> the religious didn't understand Jesus. But as we understand the heart of God, we begin to understand God's love for everyone, including those who are uh, obvious sinners, some that are subtle sinners, all sinners. God loves us. And so we begin to understand the heart of God. And you see that the people who were religious didn't understand him. They didn't understand his heart. They didn't understand where he was coming from. And as we come to see, as we read earlier, that Jesus came to give his life for us. Because of his love for us. And you see the heart of Jesus and the heart of the Father is to give his life for those who are in darkness. And so, as we walk with God, He wants us to have that same love. He puts that love in our hearts. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, He shed that love abroad in our hearts, the Spirit He's given us. But sometimes we're not walking that way. We're not... We're not perceiving that. We're not that love isn't coming out of us. It's not we're not living it out. And that's where we have to 
take a look at ourselves. Am I walking with God in this way? Is my heart in line with the heart of God? Is my mind in the same place? In the book of Ephesians 5.1 it says, Imitate God as His dear children. This man, Matthew, who he chose, was a known sinner. He was known as, with all the tax collectors, as people who ripped off their countrymen when they collect taxes for the Romans who they hated. So there was a lot of hate here towards these, these, these sinners. And when they saw Jesus call this man, who became one of his apostles... And he wrote from this this account of Jesus' life, the Gospel according to Matthew, this is the guy that he called here. And he calls him, and, and so Matthew, Levi, his name is also Levi, he calls all his friends together that were tax collectors and other sinners, and, they make the, and, they, and, and Matthew makes this feast. For all of his friends and for Jesus, for with all invite all of his friends. And then the religious say, you know. They say to Jesus' disciples, Why does Jesus why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why does he have anything to do with this guy? Look at look at who they are. They're dirty. They do dirty things. We're not like that. You know, when we become a Christian and God saves us and we're born again, sometimes we forget where we came from. We can end up having an attitude like this. And God is calling us away from that. It's not His heart. It's not who He is. It's not what He's about. He gave His life for us. For them too. For who we were, who we are now. He saw their need. And he came and gave his life for our need. But some people don't get it. Not only did he call Matthew, but he uh, to have, and ate with him, but he made him one of the twelve. So then we go to Luke chapter 5. one. So as it was, as the multitude or the crowd pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret <clears throat> and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitude from the boat. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep 
and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have worked all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. When they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. And so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they both began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish, which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. So take a look at what's happened here in this story. First Jesus goes out and he tells Peter, Simon Peter, he says, uh, he says, there's a big crowd, he says, let me get in your boat. They were washing their nets, they were done fishing. They've been out fishing all night. He says, let me get in your boat here so I can preach to the crowd. So he gets in the boat and he preaches to the crowd. Peter and all the disciples, all the people that are in the boat here too, I mean, they're, they're there. They hear Jesus is preaching. Peter hears it too. And so after that, he says to Peter, Let's go out in the boat and let down your nets for, for a catch. And you can hear in Peter's voice, he says, Master, we worked all night, you know. We've already washed our nets, we're done. He says, let out your word. He goes, we'll do it. And so he's just doing it. To, Jesus told him, like, okay, we'll do it for you. So they go out and they catch this massive catch of fish. So many that when it was put in both boats, the boats began to sink because there were so many fish. And you can't even imagine what that would look like, but it was a big haul. And so Peter heard the word, he heard Jesus speak, and then he saw Jesus' power. And then, he began, he, he felt great conviction. And when he, when he, had this great conviction, he fell down before the Lord and he says, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Now, Peter's sins aren't listed here, thankfully. But the fact is, is that he knew for himself that he was a sinful man. And when he he was astonished at the power of God and the preaching of God and then the power of God, and he was just overwhelmed and astonished. And he said, Lord, you know, I'm a bad guy. You know, leave me. I'm... He felt his, his great embarrassment for his sins. But Jesus didn't see him that way, did he? He said, Don't be afraid. From now on you will catch men. And these four men who own these two boats, Simon and Andrew, Simon Peter and Andrew, James and John, well, it was a father's business, but James and John worked for a father's business. So they left their business. They left it all behind when they followed Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Follow me. Another passage says, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. <clears throat> 
I will make you what I want you to be. And you see, again, God chose four apostles here. He would later choose them as his apostles. Four more, and what were they? Sinful men. Did anybody imagine that this twelve that Jesus chose would be the ones that would be his inner circle when they looked at him? When they looked at them? They were horrified when they were eating he was eating with them. Nobody saw what was coming. But again, it is not who we are before Christ, but who God wants to make us. Who God wants us to be. He says, this is not about us being, us making ourselves who God wants us to be. And conforming ourselves into the image of Christ, ourselves. This is about the work of God. And this man who said to Jesus, depart from me for I am a sinful man. He recognized in sinfulness. This was Simon Peter, who had later become one of the great apostles. And God used, he gave the, the keys to open the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And he made them fishers of men. This is the message for us. God has a plan for each of our lives. Many different gifts, but God wants to use us. We are not all called to travel all over the world. Most of us are not called to travel all over the world to preach the gospel. But he brings people into our life. We don't have to go door to door for unbelievers to be around us. They're all around us. They're in our lives. And how do we feel? What is our heart towards them? <clears throat> there are some churches that send people out. They, they go out and they protest gay parades and hold up signs saying, God hates you. Really? Is that the heart of God? Is that the message of God? God hates you? No, God loves them. In 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians, it says, you know, neither fornicators or adulterers or homosexuals or drunkards, and gives us a list, when are the kingdom of God? He says, and such were some of you. Yeah. Some of them were in the church at the city of Corinth were homosexuals, adulterers, fornicators, drunkards, so on. God changed them. God turned them in and made them what He wanted them to be. The Spirit He gave to them. Say, so, well, I don't feel very bold. I'm not very courageous. I don't have a lot of courage. I don't feel bold. I don't feel like I have have the boldness that when God brings people into my life, I feel intimidated. This is an apostle speaking here in Ephesians 6. He says, 
Praying always, he's asking the Ephesian church to pray, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may give unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make the mystery of the gospel, known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. See, it's not just us. The Roman world outlawed Christianity. God, give us the boldness to speak. That's what Paul's prayer was. Give me the boldness. An apostle recognized the need for prayer to be bold and to speak the way he should. And do we hear that? that that's a message, again, for us as Christians. That we should be praying about this. We should be praying for God to give us the power and the courage and the authority to speak the way we should and to be a witness and a light in the way we live and not just the way we speak. And the way we love our neighbor as ourself. Even the bad neighbor. Even the nasty neighbor. Even our enemy. witness of the of the of the Christian. From there we go to Luke chapter fifteen. Verse 1. Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. This is, big, this is a continuous theme of complaint against Jesus. So he spoke this parable to them. So it follows as three stories, three parables that Jesus gives. But he's speaking to those who are complaining. But he says that also sinners drew near to hear him. And so this message is to everyone. The sinner and the, and the religious complainer. <laughs> to all sinners. Whether they're the known sinner or the moral sinner. So Jesus speaks these three, and that's what these three stories are about. Verse 4, When a man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness, and go after one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. So if you read this story, you see that this man has a hundred sheep and he leaves all the rest of them. And he goes and looks for the one that's lost. 
And <clears throat> and he goes and searches for them until he found them. So he kind of goes away from his regular routine. He breaks away from his regular routine of just watching his sheep and just... And he doesn't just say, oh, he left them, maybe they'll be back someday and just, you know. He comes back, he comes back, and the wolf gets them, who cares? He cared about the sheep. And he went out, and he looked for the sheep. He reached out for them until he found them. When he found them, then he threw them on his shoulder and carried them back and rejoiced because he found a sheep that was lost. And, of course, this message is very clear. That this is, again, Jesus is revealing to the religious crowd and to the sinners that came to hear him that this is the heart of God. So if we're in sin, God wants us to come back. And he's reaching out to us to come back. He doesn't want us to stay away from him. He's saying, come. Come on, I'm, I'm going to bring you back. Come on. You're in a bad place. You're in danger here. Come on back. And God wants us to imitate that, that heart. He's given us his heart. And that's what's in his heart. His love for sinners. And honestly, our natural inclination is to, when God cleans us up and we're living a godly Christian life, that when those that are not living a godly Christian life, kind of not, sometimes we have this natural inclination to say, well, we'll look at them and say, well, they, have, they would have no interest in the gospel. Well, I know before I heard the gospel, I didn't think I did either. <laughs> and I didn't think I did, so, you know. But God cares about them. He loves them just like he loves us, because he died for all, the Bible says. Second Corinthians 5 says he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but him who died and rose again for them. He loves them less all. And he wants us to love everyone else. Jesus was asked, what are the two greatest commandments? He says to love God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And he said the second one is like it. He says to love your neighbor as yourself. But the guy who asked him, he says he wanted to justify himself. He said, well, who's my neighbor? Because he wanted to know exactly who it is that he had to love and who he didn't have to love. You know, is it just people live around me? Is it my countrymen? Or who is it? <clears throat> and Jesus' answer was very telling. Because the man who God held, Jesus held up in the parable of the Good Samaritan was a Samaritan. And Samaritans were hated by the Jews and vice versa. They were against one another because... The Jewish people hated the Samaritans because the Samaritans were part Jew and part Gentile. They are part Syrian and they were part Israelite. And they considered them half-breeds and they despised them. And yet, the Jewish people in that story, the purebreds, when they saw their countrymen, their, their purebred countrymen laying on the ground, beaten and robbed, 
they didn't want anything, they didn't help him. They walked the other side of the road. And yet the Samaritan was the one who helped him. And at the end of the story, Jesus said, Well, who then loved their neighbor? And he said, the one that helped them. Yeah, and it was a Samaritan. He put him on his own donkey and had to walk the rest of the way to, to an inn. Took care of him that night. Brought him into his hotel room. Took care of him that night. And paid the, the innkeeper. He says, Here, I'm going to give you some money to take care of this guy until he's better. And he says, If he uses any more than that, he goes, When I come back this way, he goes, I'll give you more money, whatever it costs you. Loving your neighbor as yourself. This was a Samaritan. And people that were naturally against one another. Enemies in some respects. They found the sheep and they rejoiced, and heaven rejoiced. Verse 8. Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not lay the lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Heaven is rejoicing. <clears throat> you know, sometimes I've heard people say, Hey, you know, so-and-so just became a Christian. And the response of someone else in the church, it's not this church, it's way back. But the response of someone else in the church was, Oh, really? Uh, well, we'll have to see whether... That's real or not. Just a, there's no rejoicing, just a cynical, sourball, uh, hopeless kind of, well, we'll see kind of attitude, you know. It says here that when a sinner repents, that all of heaven is rejoicing, but not everybody in the church is rejoicing. Now, how can that be? We're all in tune with the heart of God. I'd like to say that this isn't just about the drunkard, the adulterer. This is not about just loving our neighbors that are downcast and out. It's about loving everyone. Those who persecute us. Loving them. Those who don't have our politics. If we have any politics at all. They don't see things the way we do. They don't live the way we do. They're not, they don't, they don't smell the way we do. You know, they have a very different outlook on life. Maybe they're practicing witchcraft. Maybe they're a Muslim. Maybe they hate Christians. Maybe they promote a lot of ungodly things and they're very immoral. Without the grace of God, that's exactly who we would be. And that's who many of us were. And such were some of us. The call. You see that in this woman's house, she's, she's searching for the coin that's lost. She has ten, she loses one. She's looking around for it. She's sweeping and hunting and, you know. 
God brings people into our life. And we're not really searching for them because they're right, you know, they're right in our, under our nose. But, you know, well, how can we search and seek in this situation? They don't want to hear what we have to say. Maybe we don't have the courage. If they don't want to hear what we have to say, we pray for God to open the door. Pray for them. Jesus has prayed for those who, who misuse us, who persecute us, to love our enemies. To reach out to them in any way we can. If they want to have anything to do with what we have to say or what we're about, pray for them. God brings them into our life for a reason. Rejoice with me, I have found the peace which I lost. God is searching for the lost sheep, the lost coin. And the verse 11, the lost son. A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his, his living, his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with wild living. And when he had spent all, there arose a famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And he would try to feed his, fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. And some people take what God's given to them and bless them with. They thank God, thanks God, I'm not anything to do with you, I'm just going to go away from you and do my own thing. They don't say that, but that's what they do. They just live their own life and they just, we just go far away from God. And then it says when he's far away that he comes to himself. He's in poverty. He's starving. And he's without hope. And finally he comes to himself. He needs his father. He needs to come back to his father. This is what happens to people when they recognize their need. God shows them their need for Him. Because God loves them. And He wants them to come back. And so, it says in verse 17, when He came to Himself, He says, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will rise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned before against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make, make me like one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. He recognized he was a sinner. He saw his spiritual poverty. He saw his hopelessness. But when, his father, when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. His father was rejoicing that his son had come back. And this is, all, this is about the sinner who never knew the Lord, and it's also about the son who wandered away. The Christian is backslidden. God loves them too. They've 
fallen and gone astray into wild living, false religion, God's calling them back. Is that where our heart is? Or are we just too busy with life? When God puts people in our life, take a few minutes for them to reach out to them. Take a few minutes to pray for them. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and now he is found, and they began to be merry. This is the heart of God. That he loves, he loves us all, and he loves us who he's called, and we've come into his covenant, and we're, we're his children now, and now he's called our children to be like him and to follow the heart he's given us that love he's put in our heart it's not just for people who are good not just our loved ones he loves people he loves sinners and he's put that love in our heart but sometimes we kind of hang that on the hook in the background because we're busy and there's other loves. And he says it's to love God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. To love our neighbor as ourselves. And yes, that neighbor means that, that immoral, sinful neighbor too. Because such were some of us. And there's many of us here that people will look at our life and take one look at our life and say, that person would never want to be a Christian. That person would never change. That person would never be converted because look at the way they are. Look at the way they look. It's a lot of foolishness. Because that's not what God is about. Even in His own apostles, there was not one scholar among them, among the twelve that we know of. They're all people on the lower end of society. Some even the lowest. The most hated, the most sinful, Mary Magdalene, a prostitute, Matthew, a tax collector, Simon Peter, who acknowledged, depart from me, Lord, for I, I am a sinful man. But the Lord did not depart from him. As a matter of fact, he said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And that's what he wants to make us, fishers of men. Not for most of us is not going to be the traveling evangelist, the traveling apostle. Not, that's not what most of us are going to be able to do. We have responsibility, we have families, we have this, we have that. Most of us that's not our calling. Our calling is to be a light in the world that we live in. You are the light of the world. We are the light of the world. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And then he also said, you are the light of the world. He put his light in us to shine. Let your light so shine before men. Right where we are. They think it's strange we don't live like they do. That's part of the testament. It's not 
The testimony is not to be more like them, but to stick out and to follow Christ and not to be ashamed of Him. Not to be ashamed of Him or His words. So there's two more passages I want to read quickly from. I'm open it to anybody else who wants to speak. 2 Timothy chapter 2 says this, And the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, or it means argue, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, and humility correcting those who are in opposition. If God, perhaps, will grant them repentance, that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to his will. This is a message to us who are Christians. The servant of the Lord must not strive, must not argue. Whether it's Christians who have what we believe is false teachings or things like that, or whether it's you know people that are, are in a false religion, whether they're in a cult, whether they're in witchcraft, whatever they're in. Not get angry with them, not be strifeful and argumentative with them. If that's what they want to be, that's up to them. But not to be like them. And he says that we must correct them in humility, not in pride and arrogance, not being defensive about what we believe. We should be secure in what we believe. We don't have to defend God. God is certainly capable of defending himself and his word. If God will grant, perhaps grant them repentance, they may know the truth, and they may come to his, their senses and escape the snare of a devil and taken captive by him, by the devil, to do his will. They're prisoners. They're in Satan's prison house. They may be lashing out and look like they're free to do whatever they want. They're Satan's prisoners. And they're marching to his beat. And they're marching to destruction, to judgment, to the lake of fire, eternal judgment, where the smoke of their torment will come before the throne of God forever and ever. Not my message. This is God's message in His Word. They've been taken captive. They're prisoners. And they're doing Satan's will. They think they're doing whatever they want. But in doing that, they become Satan's prisoners. And they're in Satan's dungeon. The last one is in James chapter 5. The last two verses of chapter 5. Brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone turns him back, <clears throat> let him know that he turns a sinner from the error of his way, will save a soul from death, and cover a multitude of sins. There's many, Jesus said, that are going to judgment. And God has graciously rescued us. But what about them? What about the majority of the 50 million or so a year who die every year. Many, the majority of them perish. What about them? 
can't save them by ourselves, for sure. But God wants to use us, each of us, in our own little world, wherever we are, to be a light in the world, in our job, in our neighborhood, in our household. This isn't just for those out there. This is for our own household, for our children, grandchildren, for our parents. This message is to all and about all. But God loves everyone. And he doesn't want any to perish, it says in Second Peter, but for all to come to repentance. That's the heart of God. Most will not be saved. But God wants to use us so that people will be saved through Him. As we read here, it says, Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Yeah. That's what God wants to do. So I don't have the, 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 the gifts, you know, and the courage and all this stuff and Paul recognized the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, who many were saved through and many great works were done through. He recognized his own shortcomings. And so, just like Moses recognized his own shortcomings, let God use Moses. He prayed to God and said, I'm not a man of... I can't... Moses, I, I can't speak well and everything else. God gave him what he needed. He gave him his brother to be his spokesman. You tell, you, you tell Aaron, I'll tell you what to say. You tell it to Aaron. Aaron will tell him. God will give us what we need. You just have to come to him with the heart that he's given us. And to, and to let that, that love that he shed abroad in our heart come forth. Not suppress it with all the excuses. Well, I can't do that because. I don't I can't do it. I'm not I don't have this. I don't have that. God wants to give it to us. He wants to give us the courage. He wants to give us the boldness. He wants to give us the anointing and the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit. It says that Jesus spoke with authority and not like one of the scribes. And God wants us to speak in that way. And he will give us what we need to speak the way he wants us to speak. And to speak what he wants us to speak. Even if we're arrested and it says, if we come before kings and authorities and governments, he says, don't worry about what you're going to speak. He says, ah, the Holy Spirit in that hour will give you what you need to speak. Okay. Brothers, some open floor here. Any of other brothers want to comment on this? Or anything else that you want to share? We have about 15 minutes or so.